Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. Los mejores viajes nacen en la carretera, pero este comenzará en tu mente. ¿Escuchas ese rugido? ¿Sientes la experiencia de poder? ¿La emoción de la libertad? Ya estás preparado para vivir tu nueva aventura. Nueva Ram 1500, hecha para vivir. Ram es una marca registrada de FCA US LLC. Well then, thanks for spending some time with us here on the Joy News uh, channel. This is uh, The Polls, and we're coming to you uh, from our studios here in Accra, but this afternoon war is looming in West Africa as uh, Mali and Burkina Faso warn any military intervention in Niger to restore the deposed government will amount to a declaration of war. We have the latest on this for you. Uh, we know that the UK government is also uh, pledging some support for the economic community West African states, which is preparing to use military force to restore order in Niger following last week's coup d'etat that saw President Mohamed Bazoum removed from office. We have analysis on this, uh, plus some insights and what the Ghanaian position is from our authorities. Also coming up this afternoon, more than 100,000 persons in Ghana living with uh, the HIV disease. They are unaware and spreading the virus. That's the Finding from the Ghana AIDS Commission, as he says, is looking for such persons. 
28% of people living with HIV still do not know their HIV status because they have not tested. That represents about 100,000 people. Get to the very latest as we tell you about government's uh, latest uh, debt operation as well is coming up high as uh, there may be a second round of restructuring, especially for pension funds and the IPPs. What's the next line of action for government? We'll find out shortly, plus get some analysis on the implications for Ghana's energy Pleasure to be with you here on The Pulse, brought to you by Global Communities Dignity Lua for Double Safe Sanitation. We're on DSTV Channel 421. Thanks for joining us. Joy News is independent, fearless and credible. I am Blessed Sogan. We are back with details. One, you may call it a full-blown conflict, as last week's uh, coup d'etat in uh, Niger has resulted in some strong words and threats uh, of aggression. Mali and Burkina Faso, which are now uh, led by military junctors uh, following similar overthrow of the constitutionally elected governments in that country, have reacted angrily to the plans by the regional body ECOWAS, insisting that any attempt by the regional body ECOWAS to use military intervention in Niger will amount to the declaration of war. In the last few hours, the United Kingdom uh, says that its allies have uh, also voiced support for ECOWAS in its quest to restore democracy to Niger. UK Foreign Secretary James Cleverly, who is visiting uh, Ghana, uh, indicated that to the BBC uh, that it was important for African leaders to uh, head up some response uh, and that the UK government... Uh, will consider helping if they receive a specific request on the situation. Uh, well, yesterday I actually uh, followed uh, James Cleverly on one of his tours uh, here within Accra, where he paid a visit to Burma camp, uh, where there was a joint military exercise against violent extremism. Uh, here's what we found out. Well, James Cleverly, the UK's uh, Secretary of State for Foreign Affairs, Commonwealth and Development Affairs, is beginning his tour of some West African countries, starting off here in Accra. Earlier today, uh, the Foreign Minister of the United Kingdom paid a visit to Burma Camp, where he witnessed a joint military exercise uh, targeted at showing him firsthand some of the measures being uh, undertaken by the Ghana military in conjunction with its international allies and partners targeted at checking the growth of violent extremism, which has taken center stage in West Africa. We know that just last week, the Republic of Niger, one of the West African countries, witnessed an unconstitutional change of government. Uh, we caught up with the Defense Minister, Dominic Nitu, after today's engagements uh, and bilaterals with uh, the UK's Foreign Secretary, James Cleverly. Dominic Nitu tells us a number of measures being taken uh, by the Ghanaian government together with ECOWAS, are checking the growing rate of violent extremism in the West Africa sub-region. In um, training exercises with the, with the UK, um, a lot of training exercises with them, they give us a lot of support in training our, our troops in combating terrorist activities. Not just the UK, the United Kingdom, France, all of them, they do give us China. They do give us a lot of training. So this is the foreign minister for the UK. He's on a visit, and we decided to give him a demonstration about if there is a uh, terrorist attack in a location like this, which is which is a room, what what our troops can do, and I believe that he himself saw it, the sort of professionalism that uh, and the coordination, 
and the sort of discipline because for you you need to have a lot of discipline to be able to achieve that that's the essence of it just to show that look our troops are as good as we get all the training and with our, our various partners across board and it, it's, it's i'm impressed with what, what i saw and i believe that we'll have to continue to train train day and night to, to ensure well the minister is also ruling out the possibility of a military coup d'etat in ghana he explains why ECOWAS has given um, the janta a one-week ultimatum to Hanover or face severe consequences, including the use of force. After the one week, we will seek the direction of the presidents exactly what they will do. But I can say that the member states are ready. Uh, if it means using force, the member states will be ready to do that. I, I armed forces. I can I can assure you that the professionalism of the Ghana armed forces is is par excellence, and I'm not worried at all. Not not at all. I I, I don't I don't worry about any member of the armed forces taking up arms to say I'm going to remove a government. No, not at all. They would rather protect the will of the people. They would rather not allow anybody to cheat in an election. They would rather not allow anybody to manipulate in an election. But to take up arms to remove a government, the armed forces are, they are, they are no, it's, be, it's beyond that. Armed forces of Ghana is far beyond that. But one major worry is um, terrorism, which keeps getting closer and closer to our country. That's our worry. That's our worry. It's real. That's our threat. That's our worry. And that's why we are, we are doing a lot of activities up north. Uh, we first started by deploying troops in World Cooperation Conquer Fist, which is a, um, a medium term solution. It cannot be a permanent one. But the more permanent one is the deployment of what we call soldiers along the four to waiting bases that we are establishing, which are permanent down to us and so that threat is real but we will do whatever we have to do to protect our people thank you very thank much there's again reporting for joy news Burma camp Accra. well i'm still here and uh, very shortly we'll be speaking to the west africa civil society institute on uh, the rising tension within the SAP region and other experts to analyze the impact of what this will mean for the SAP region before that though let me bring in um, some updates on the situation as we have so far within the West Africa sub-region alone. Here's the case. Uh, 84 attempts made so far since 1990. We're tracking all of that for you. 50% success rate uh, in terms of the uh, attempted coup since 1990. Uh, but if you go beyond that as well, uh, between uh, that year and uh, where we are today, uh, some 26 calls in all, as we understand. And then you move forward uh, from 1999 uh, to the year 2000 and 2009. That, that nine-year period also witnessed an additional 13 in all after we moved from the 90s. Now, so if you put that together, on average, we're ranging somewhere within uh, 36 different cases uh, between 2010 to 2019. Uh, alone, and it's beginning to raise questions now, moving beyond the 2019 zone, where within 2023 alone, Africa, uh, specifically the West Africa sub-region, is dealing with about five uh, cases of military takeover of a democratically 
to bring in Molora Balogun, who's the head of policy influencing and advocacy at the West Africa Center, uh, West Africa Civil Society Institute. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. Uh, also uh, joining us is Mukta Mouni Mukta, who is uh, the executive uh, director for the West Africa Center for Counter Extremism. Uh, Molora, let, let me start off with you, knowing uh, that the experts have raised the concerns that, uh, looking at the, the the demographics, really, we can't say for a fact that democracy is on the decline within the West Africa sub-region. Do, do you hold any contrary view on that? Uh, thank you so much. Good afternoon, colleagues and uh, viewers. I think that statement is quite correct from where I said and where we said. No doubt democracy is on the decline in West Africa like we've never witnessed uh, before. And uh, uh, the, the, the data you showed earlier quite, you know, uh, resonates with, with, with this fact. In the past three years, I think since, since 2020, we have witnessed about six uh, different military coups in, in West Africa. And, and, and uh, of course, we have uh, um, uh, the ones in, in Burkina Faso, Mali, Guinea, and recently last week in Niger being successful. And this is quite worrisome because uh, it shows clearly that democracy is not delivering uh, uh, its dividends as uh, as we all have desired and worked tirelessly towards it. It is clear that the dividends of democracy, the citizens, all of us across the region, we are not seeing it. And uh, we can state at this point that our leaders had opportunity to do things differently, to deliver on various promises and, uh, you know, to improve the life of citizens. And the fact that we keep mentioning COVID, the impact of COVID, which is global, by the way, and then we also recently in the last one, one and a half years, started talking about the impact of the Russian-Ukraine war as uh, a major uh, course of the, the the difficulties that citizens across the region are facing. I think it's it's rather uh, um, you know uh, a development that mm. compounded the challenges that we right. have been facing due to bad and, governance. And, and what's also so coming indeed, up? Yeah, and what's also coming up is is, is this uh, decision, very controversial one, by the regional body ECOWAS to deploy military forces to restore calm or order, if you want to describe it as such. But it's not going to be helpful, would it? Well, it's definitely not going to be helpful, and I don't see that happening, honestly, from where I sit, because uh, I, I think there are a number of fundamental issues that we need to unpack and also try to, uh, you know, look at the text of ECOWAS, the various text protocols that ECOWAS has, and the provisions within those documents as that when it's required for ECOWAS to, you know, t- take such a step. If we look at history, uh, 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 we have the deployment of ECOWAS, the ECOMOG in, in Liberia uh, many years ago. But of course, that was a very special case where we're talking about outright civil war. In this case, it is shameful enough that we have citizens under a democratic, uh, democratically elect, you know, a government rejoicing at the military takeover of power, unconstitutional takeover of power. As abhorrent as that may sound, we need to question the fundamental issues that drive citizens to this point. 
because the same citizens went to the poll to vote for various government. We need to fix the fundamental challenges that make citizens to take this very hardcore line. So I, 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 I think uh, uh, we need to look differently. ECOWAS within its text, be it the protocols for uh, democracy and good governance, uh, the supplementary protocol as amended in 2006, or even its conflict prevention framework, which mirrors uh, uh, the international responsibility to protect, has you know, specific provisions under which the entity, the ECOWAS as an institution, can deploy military. So I think uh, there's a little, uh, the, the situation is quite different now, and that would be too hasty decisions for, for ECOWAS to take. Besides, okay. we do not have the context, you know, to accommodate such decisions. We have countries where militaries are, are, are not, I mean, everyone, including especially the militaries, are unmotivated. We have countries with unmotivated military forces, disgruntled, if you like, and we also have countries suffering from different pockets of internal and external, uh, uh, you know, uh, 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 crisis, uh, um, extremist, ex- extremist activities, terrorism, if you like, and we are also talking about a region that is highly volatile, I mean, uh, if we look a bit back in history, we can continue to see the impact of the fall of Gaddafi in Libya. We have the crisis in the Lake Chad basins. We have uh, the different, you know, uh, pockets of crisis in the northern part of Nigeria that that, that kind of, you know, very close to, 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 to Niger. And so the entire Sahel, as a friend of mine called it a couple of days ago, is now the, the, the cool belt of West Africa. So when you look at the military that wants to be deployed, how are we even sure that they have the motivation to do that? Mm. So uh, I, I think that the, 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 the government, the democratic leaders need to reflect differently and begin to address the fundamental issues that lead to this kind of situation in the first place. Uh, and what's the challenge here is that um, you find that belt, as you're referring to, surrounding uh, countries that are relatively stable in terms of uh, democracy when, it, when you talk about countries such as Ghana. Uh, we'll, we'll get into that shortly. I want to just, just stay with us. Uh, Dr. Festus um, Aubin is the head of research for the West Africa Network for Peacebuilding. Uh, he's also joining the conversation now. Uh, and Doug, many of us are worried about this uh, militarized decision uh, being taken by ECOWAS. How do we build effective peace within the SAP region? Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, can you hear me, please? Loud and clear, sir. Yes. So thank you very much. Um, certainly, this is not a good time for the West African region, but um, you asked a very pertinent question about how we build peace in the region. Now, if you look at the Sahel and where we've had most of this military uh, coups. There are some commonalities in terms of the issues that lead to these uh, coups. One is governance issues, socioeconomic issues, and security issues. These are the factors, together with others, that are fueling most of the coups that we have in, in the region. And so I think it is time for us to take stock of all these issues, reflect on them, and see how best we could um, address them through constitutional reforms, through good governance uh, practices, and also addressing the security challenges that is fueling some of these um, uh, problems within 
the region, especially with the governance challenges. You could see that um, almost all the three countries that we've had these recent coups, people are jubilating not because they think the military is the best solution or best alternative, but because people don't have any other alternative. And until we carry out serious and robust uh, constitutional reforms to ensure that governance is geared towards the interests of the people, until we address the human security challenges confronting the citizenry and make sure that people are at the center of our governance, mm. then we are going to experience uh, more of these uh, well, it's within... good that you're, you're calling leadership into, into question. And in fact, um, some are also questioning some of the mechanism put, put in place by uh, the regional body ECOWAS to build peace, a sustainable one within the uh, SAB region. One of them is the early warning mechanism. I recall uh, being there when the ECOWAS was so confident that this was part of the solution. How come we didn't see Niger come up knowing that Mali had gone down, uh, Guinea itself had gone down earlier? Now, the question is uh, more about why didn't we respond to the early warning uh, signals in Niger? If you recall, even before President Bazoum was um, inaugurated as the president of Niger, there was an attempted coup. What it means is that there were already issues that needed to be dealt with. How did we respond to it? I can assure you that there's a lot of data that points to some of the problems and challenges that led to this group. Mm. But the problem has always been response. And response has to come from the political actors. Um, you know, ECOWAS is a political institution. Precisely. And so most of the time, when it comes to response, because of issues of sovereignty, a lot of countries are unwilling to even accept some of the issues that are brought to bear in terms of um, the challenges that their countries conf mm. are confronted with. Mm. So most of the time, there's a serious gap between the early warning uh, data that is provided and also the early response to those issues. So the challenge has always been with our response mechanism. Mm. It, at the ECOWAS, we have the Council of the Wise. You ask yourself, how are we utilizing the members of this Council of the Wise? Right. You know, so these are some of the issues that mm. um, we need okay. to uh, really ponder. Right. Uh, here's what I want us to do. And let me start off with you, Omolara. The, the trend that we see in all of these um, takeovers that, that happen, the fact that you find citizens, well, I, I've not done any scientific search, but you find them on the streets supporting and cheering the military on. It's the trend we found in Guinea, Mali, and now we find that a similar one happening in Niger. Yeah, I, I think, uh, like my, 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 my colleagues just mentioned, that these are evidences of the failures of governance. These are people, citizens, who find it... Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. 
Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. Los mejores viajes nacen en la carretera, pero este comenzará en tu mente. ¿Escuchas ese rugido? ¿Sientes la experiencia de poder? ¿La emoción de la libertad? Ya estás preparado para vivir tu nueva aventura. Nueva Ram 1500, hecha para vivir. Ram es una marca registrada de FCA US LLC. Difficult, you know, to even enjoy the basic dividends of democracy, social services, protections. The same, I mean, talking about Mali, talking about uh, Burkina Faso, these are countries that have been, you know, under, uh, 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 experiencing different pockets of violent extremist activities for a prolonged period, even under uh, former and late president uh, uh, IBK, Abubakar Keita in Mali, and the previous president of, 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 of uh, uh, Niger, even under Conde. So it's, it, these countries add their security issues, they add governance lapses, they add issues of uh, 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 you know, social, uh, political, economic challenges that the citizens we're dealing with, were confronted with at, at, at a time, even up till now. This has been compounded by the, I would say, extravagance and uh, for lack of better word, uh, 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 I, I'm, just, I'm just trying to put uh, you my mean that in. You mean the lifestyle of the leadership? The lifestyles of political leaders. Mm. The, 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 the nonchalant attitude, the, the, the fact that you just want power, you do not want governance, you don't want to do the work, and citizens are looking at this. And wow. when you look across the region, we have huge number of our young people running to the West because there seems to be no hope down here in Africa, in West Africa. And gone were the days where the uneducated ones were leaving to go do security and all of that in the West. Now we are talking about my colleagues, educated people, middle class, supposed middle class, fleeing the region, fleeing the continent, because there is no hope. These are people who could afford the cost of the ticket to these Western countries. So there's really nothing left for the poor, absolutely nothing. And that is how and why you could see them taking this extreme position. Most of those people you see on the street, young people were perhaps not even born during the military days. 
which I met as, as, as a young, young girl, five, ten years, when I was five or ten years. Most of them are in their 20s and in their 25 or 30s. They do not even know the implications of having a military in, 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 in power. But as the democracy that they have witnessed since birth, has it delivered anything differently? So you can't blame them. And we must recognize that. We need to point the fingers at our leaders. Democracy must deliver. It's important. And that is why it's called democracy. We have instances and in, uh, where democratic leaders have so captured their state, captured the parliament, captured government coverage and public funds, and all is mismanaged. Nothing has been delivered from health to education to, to, to social amenities. Nothing. Right. So these people need to fight for themselves, fight for life. So this is the embarrassing development that we have seen across the countries where the militaries have, have, have taken power. Yeah, in fact, these that, people do not know otherwise. Yeah. In fact, the data is supporting you on that. Uh, here in Ghana, we have the Dental Medical Council, the um, all the associations within the health sector complaining about how you have doctors, nurses, and some of these skilled labor moving out of the country uh, with the numbers increasing by the day. Uh, but, but here we are today, and the situation is not getting any better. Um, let, let's hear from Mukhtar Mouni Mukhtar. Uh, Mukhtar, we've been with you all throughout the week. Um, number five, five, that's the number we're dealing with. Nobody knows if the sixth one will happen because uh, learning of what's happening, for instance, in Senegal, there are concerns that that may go down as well. Well, uh, clearly, at the moment, uh, we don't know, uh, of course, which country is next. But it's very, very likely that we have not seen the end of this and that we are likely to have uh, some more uh, of the same situation, even if it is a failed uh, attempt. And it's because of the pervasive nature of the issues of poor governance and issues of unresponsive systems to the grievances uh, of the people. And I agree largely uh, with the two, uh, my two colleagues. Yeah, but, but when been, you, uh, and, and I'm sorry for cutting in, but, but when you all from the civil society space say that the government is not delivering as the people want, these are the same people who queued, uh, who were in the lines, waited overnight to vote for these same governments. So why, why not exercise some restraint, at least wait till the next electoral cycle? So it's easy to say that. That's the ideal situation. If you've lived in a situation of fatigue and frustration with the system for so long, it makes sometimes it come to a point where any other option looks uh, better. And that's what we have come to uh, on many occasions within the sub-region. Uh, you're looking at situations where governance has failed, failed significantly in a way that does not leave any options for anybody but to be you know, supportive of things like that. So on the ground, like my two colleagues mentioned, there seem to be significant support for this kind of situation. It's not just Niger. If you look at all the other three cool situations, there was significant public support for that, demonstrated, you know, in the open, in the public. And it is it's typical of all cool situations that we have experienced on the continent. And it's largely because the system is not deliberate. And so we need to take several steps back and look at how do we ensure that the kind of governance systems we put in place and the kind of leadership structure that drive this system are responsive to the needs and aspirations of the people. And I have been making this argument in the last four or five years that what we are seeing is the manifestation of the frustrations of the people, you know, in the sense that governance has failed. Governance has failed to deliver in terms of, you know, good governance, in terms of providing job opportunities 
and systems that allow young people to realize their aspirations. And in many ways, in some parts of the region, extremist groups take advantage of that. Extremist groups understand young people better than the state. So they exploit that kind of situation to recruit people mm. to engage in violence. Okay. And we saw the previous points made you know, earlier. You're seeing a huge number of young people living this continent, living in Ghana. I mean, you see the current statistics about the numbers of young professionals who have spent so much money to get trained by the state and parents, get trained through the healthcare system, educational system, and they leave because they're leaving to places where they think that they can't get better you know, for their, their services. And that should worry all of us. Mm. I see. Uh, there's a meeting tomorrow by all the military chiefs um, within the West Africa Samp region. Dr. Festus Obin, uh, we need to wrap up. Uh, I'll hear from all of you, but let me start off with you, Doc. Uh, the point about the meeting tomorrow. Would you support the move by ECOWAS to deploy forces in Tunisia? That meeting is happening tomorrow. Yes. Um, I think if they go ahead with that um uh, deployment of military personnel or combat troops to Niger is going to be a disaster for the entire region. I'm not sure we'll be able to contain the humanitarian crisis that will confront the entire sub-region. Uh, I think that tomorrow's uh, meeting should give them the opportunity to reflect, look at the pros and cons of deploying such a force because um, it does not only have implication for the sub-region, but it also has a geopolitical um, uh, issue for the region because I see a geopolitical contest between some of the major world powers if there should be any deployment to um, uh, Niger. And I don't think that is the best approach. I think we need to... It's unfortunate. I mean, we've had a, a, a situation like this, but we need to go diplomatically, uh, take diplomatic steps to see how best we can address the situation instead of deploying uh, a military uh, force. I Yesterday I was telling someone that, you see, the kind of contest we had in the 90s where we deployed ECOMOC to Liberia and Sierra Leone is not the same contest we have today. The contest we had in Gambia where uh, forces were deployed uh, as a show of force to cause the IHMS to step down. It's not the same context we are dealing with. Let's look at the strategic location of uh, Niger. If you look at where Niger is, almost all the countries surrounding it has internal issues and mm. issues also with uh, terrorism, violent extremism, and political issues. And any military intervention will create a serious security problem for the entire okay, You're talking about geopolitics. It's a good time to talk about that as well. Uh, for some, and, and for those analyzing the issue a bit more uh, in a remote sense, they're looking at it with a, with, a, with a spectacle that the French influence appears to be waning down. It's the reason for which almost all of these countries that have gone down so far are French West African. Well, I mean, um, if you look at the trend... Of course, there are anti-French um, sentiments across the region. And if you, even when you look at the posture of ECOWAS, some uh, people have read meanings into it, as in um, France and other um, Western countries are supporting the posture of ECOWAS. And I think 
this should be an opportunity for France and other Western partners to rethink their approach in the Sahel to actually win the hearts and minds of people um, against this trend of anti-French um, influence within um, uh, the region. I mean, if you look at the history also, I mean, uh, French troops, for example, have been in the region since 2013 in Mali. But the situation keeps getting worse. And that is why people are asking questions. What is happening? You know, and in such situations, people will certainly have issues with those who have been on ground helping to deal with the situation. But the situations keep getting um, uh, uh, worse. You know, so I think they need to also rethink their approach to Niger and other Sahelian countries um, to, I mean, change the perception about their role in terms of dealing with the peace and security challenges uh, within the region. Because uh, as you are already aware, in Mali, we have the Wagner forces and people are, are predicting that if the posture that ECOWAS has, the posture that the Western countries also had towards Niger continues, then it's going to isolate Niger and draw them to this uh, private military uh, company, Wagner. And that could also be a major problem for the entire region. So I think we need to all reflect and rethink the approach and see how best we can help Niger uh, move towards constitutional order. Mm. Uh, let, let me take your final thoughts on this. Well, I completely agree with the points that uh, Dr. Festus made. But I think uh, it's also important for us to look at the uh, uh, why, why Niger. I mean, Niger is the fourth country that has been taken over by, 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 by coup plotters uh, in like two, three years. So recently, I think it was two days ago, I discovered that Niger actually accounts for about 5% of the world's uranium and, and, and lithium producers. So why not if not? A lot of interest. I mean, we have many interests, many conflicting and, 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 and um, uh, many personal interests in Niger. And if ECOWAS falls for that, uh, 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 for, if ECOWAS falls for, falls for that, that's going to be a disaster. A are you, are you disaster. suggesting that probably some external influence or pressure may, may have been brought Absolutely. to bear? Yeah. Absolutely. The, geopolit the geopolitics uh, interest is, is, is definitely at play here. I think, was it two days ago, I saw uh, a group of, uh, uh, you know, protesters in Niger, you know, with, uh, uh, um, I think, Russia flag. So the, 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 the interests are clear. And we could also see, like, like based on following the question that you asked, that there, there seems to, I mean, it's clear to us that there is some element of anti-French sentiments going on or, or, or you know you know driving this protest and 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 the coup in, uh, itself so we need to it will be good for us to begin to unpack some of the uh, long-standing relationships and issues you know uh, power power dynamics between france and these francophone countries it is important in addition to that i also believe that ECOWAS should not or should reconsider, you know, this position. One, Niger is still a sovereign state 
up till date, and ECOWAS makes that very clear in its own text. If the leaders of ECOWAS decide to live by their text, by their protocols, that will not be the way to go. And secondly, the fact that though the leaders all subscribe to the R2P and all of that, it is important for them to assess themselves and their countries. If they decide to go into the J as a way of restoring uh, our constitutional power, what does it mean to their own very country, the countries that they rule? How happy are their own people at a time like this? And that is why I believe that it's because they are not having internal reflections. If they do, then they would know that, like you asked at the start of the program, where is next? That's the question they should be asking themselves. Mm. Because the signs and the manifestations are there. Right. People are not happy with the deliveries of this of, of democracy and governance that we have across the okay. region, including countries still under democratic rules at the point. Let, let me give the final thoughts to you, uh, Mukhtar Mumuni Mukhtar. Uh, in fact, Omola um, are bringing up the responsibility to protect, but I'm just wondering if the international community will give full backing to that, knowing that there's geopolitics in this, as you're all pointing to. Russia coming in at some point, we're not too sure if that's the case for Niger. But there will be difficulty in getting some Security Council backing. Yes, first of all, I, I completely agree with uh, my colleagues, and I agree perfectly with uh, Dr. Aubin's, uh you know, remarks about the, you know, you know, the idea of intervening and its implications for the entire West African sub-region. I think if that happens, if there is any intervention, and I'm speaking specifically to your question. If there were to be an intervention right now, I can tell you that this intervention, this conflict would be a huge attraction to international players. You would see almost immediately the role of international actors seeking to project support for either side of the situation. And that would create a kind of a Russian-Ukrainian situation for us, for, for ours here. And that would be very, very dire in terms of its implications uh, along the lines of uh, security along the lines of stability and the geopolitics of it all. And so I do not recommend that uh, ECOWAS carries, I mean, carries through its declaration that they made on the 30th of this month. They need to take a step back and really look at how they can get involved in transitioning this current leadership onto the path of democratic rule. Okay, uh, we'll leave it here for now. Tomorrow we'll definitely bring updates on that meeting that is scheduled to happen in Abuja. But thank you to Omolara, to you, Mutao, and to Dr. Festus for joining us uh, here on this uh, very conversation. Member of Parliament for Vanda Ahmed Ibrahim is advocating for the government and other stakeholders to help rebuild the lives of drug addicts by providing some more rehabilitation centres. Speaking at the Commissioner of the Kairos Women Rehabilitation Centre at Banda. Uh, by the Kairos Global Mission, Ibrahim uh, indicated that imprisoning drug offenders as, sole, as a sole measure of correcting them is not yielding the expected outcome. Pressure 7 has more. The involvement of the youth, especially women, in drug abuse worsens their vulnerability, such as prostitution and other unethical behaviors. <laughs> Carrier's Global Mission, a Christian NGO based in the USA to rebuild the lives of such women, has built a rehabilitation center for women at Bandahinkro in the Bono region. 
Banda Karyos Ladies and Children Home aims to take in over 20 women in future, but five are now undergoing a life transformation process in line with the mission's goal to reform and reintegrate addicts into society. Reverend Anadro is the president of the mission. Most of the recovery programs or rehabilitation centers are devoted to men. In fact, in the whole country of Ghana, I know of one in Accra for women. But in this remote place, we have a place where women can come out of their suffering. It needs to be in a place like this, in home care. The addiction is just too strong. In this place, women can recover and learn new skills and recover their ability, recover their identity as whole whole people. And and once more, I'll leave this place with the ability to, to engage in society, to work, uh, to raise their families, to raise their children. At the commissioning of the center, Banda MP Ahmed Ibrahim urged the women not to be ashamed of their past, but to strive to become better. He called for a different approach to dealing with drug addicts instead of imprisonment. What I'm saying is that, one, there might be rehabilitation centers, so that you don't... Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Keep on piling the people into the prisons. Like the man said, even in the cells or in the prisons, they still continue to abuse the drugs. So if there are rehabilitation centers and you bring them to rehabilitation centers, it can help them to transform and reform the people and bring them back into the society. So that is the prevention is the best way to go, and that's what I'm advocating for. There are people in Ghana who are richer than this woman herself. So if she can volunteer to come and do this, why can't our rich men in the country do it? The Church of Pentecost has done about three prison cells where they are rehabilitating and transforming the lives of drug addicts and all people who have already been pushed into jail. It's not everything that government can do. Board member of Carrios Rehab Home, Superintendent Jeremiah Ahale, while urging the youth to avoid drugs, appealed for support to sustain the home. The law says when you use it, this should happen to you. When you sell it, this is what should happen. A judge cannot use his discretion to reduce the punishment. So the best way to go is what we are doing. And you know, the hano. So we saw nyame nshira, nyame nshira. We na se mumwa ayisika. And maya amuya tuvayi. Umu didi. Precious Semevo Joy News Banda. Okay, we focus now on the economy because government appears to be in a tough war with independent power producers who had the proposal to restructure the over one billion US dollars owed them. Um, Joy News is uh, learning 
a proposal uh, for debt exchange uh, has been tabled and presented uh, to the six independent power producers for study and approval, and uh, some have already committed to the deal. And all government is seeking to restructure some uh, two billion US dollars of the 23 billion it is, uh, which is accruing uh, here in the energy sector. Uh, let's bring in Isaac Ophir, J Data Analyst here at Join News, uh, helping us to understand what's happening. Uh, but there's implication for the energy sector. We'll talk about that shortly. But let's look at the figure and all. How did we come to this? So is it $2.3 billion that yeah, we're dealing with? $2.3 billion. $2.3. That, that, that's, that's the final amount of yes, we're dealing yes, with. That's the latest. How, how did we get here? Because that wasn't the figure. That wasn't the figure. Mm. We were dealing with somewhere around $1.4 billion. Um, mm. And just over three months or two months, I think in less than two months, we've added more than a billion you know dollar to the initial 1.4 billion US in just in just less than two months because we're talking about 1.4 billion in mm-hmm. march and okay. april thereabouts 1.4 mm-hmm. and now we are in pro- probably july was when it was updated or something like that currently is um, august so let's say in the span of three months one billion so, so for those who may not get the concept Let's try and break that down. Why is the energy sector becoming a drain on the public purse? Well, the energy sector is one of the, the key sources where, mm-hmm. you know, we put a lot of pressure on government's, you know, debt. This is because if you look at our debt, for instance, the, there are three or four components that have, you know, the biggest uh, part of the pie. The energy sector is one of them. I think currently the, the total debt of the energy sector is over three billion U.S. dollars. Mm-hmm. We also have the banking sector cleanup that we did, which cost us more than 25 billion Ghana CDs. If you rate it in dollars, it should be around 3 billion US dollars. So if you put away the uh, banking sector cleanup, the next place that you know, always adds up to our debt is the, the energy sector. Mm-hmm. This is the reason. You have agreements with independent power producers to produce power. Most of them are take or pay. It means that if they produce a power, whether you use it or you fail to use it, you have to pay for it. Take or pay. That's exactly, a controversial Exactly, take, exactly. Or, take or, or pay. So, yes. so if you look at it mm-hmm. annually, yeah. we generate about $1 billion. US dollars. That's the energy sector alone, generate annually $1 billion US dollars mm-hmm. as debt. Yes. Now, because of the take or pay agreements we have, excess capacity, mm-hmm. energy that we've generated but we do not use, cost us about 500 million US dollars every year in terms of debt. So if you do the math, you realize that uh, the energy sector is one area that's always putting a lot of pressure. That's why the IMF was very categorical that they feel that even with this, um, when we were having the program was around 1.3, they felt that the amount was too huge. And that so we should to Exactly. We should do an assessment case. of it and if, see if the If we deal with effectively with, with the outstanding payments now, let's not deal with what's about to come, mm. but if we effectively tackle or restructure the debt that's accumulated over the period, how much of a respite will that be to you know, the kind of austerity in which we find ourselves now? So, so let's do this comparative analysis. You are owing independent power producers $1.3 billion. Mm-hmm. The money that you're even getting from the IMF is just $3 billion. Wow. And even the first tranche, you just got $600 million. So if you are supposed to pay all these debts, then it means that the money that IMF is even giving you for this year, because this year we are expecting $1.2 billion US dollars from the IMF, it will not even be enough to pay the independent power producers. But their stance is very clear. 
they don't want a restructuring because in restructuring, then you have to agree to a certain amount of haircut, a certain magnitude. All they want is that we understand you are facing challenges in pay, but then defer payments. The payment. Exactly. Defer payment, restructure, give us a payment plan. plan. If you are paying us 2%, 3% per this month, whatever month, give us a plan. But we are not coming to the negotiation table to sit with you and agree to 15% haircut, 20% haircut. Just more or less. You know, um, restructuring. As though you are owing utility, mm -hmm. right? At, at the domestic level, you yeah. need to pay your electricity bill. Electricity of Ghana, the company of Ghana says, if you pay half of the amount, we'll give you we'll the give electricity back. Yeah. But then your bills keep piling keep up. Keep piling up. But that's not the solution to our problem. Exactly. It's not really the solution, but the, the, the position we find ourselves in, this is monies that we owe in U.S. dollars. Mm -hmm. And our problem has been balance of payments because we generate so much dollars here. We don't print dollars here in Ghana. Mm -hmm. So we rely on the, thing, the inflows, currency. exactly. So if you are getting more dollars, but you are using them to pay in, you know, debt and interest you know, on loans and all of, of those things, it simply tells you that you will not have enough to, to do the most important things in the economy. Okay, there's so a second lecture to the conversation, which has got to do with some of the other sectors that may be affected as a result of the domestic debt exchange program. But let's focus on the power sector because there's an implication. The IPPs are not happy about this. Dr. Yusuf Suleiman is an energy policy analyst joining us uh, to help us understand what's happening now. How do we deal with this? W would you opt for an entire renegotiation of, of the energy sector deals uh, with the IPP? Peace, so we start afresh and then clear what we have on the table. Is that the way to go? Yeah, good afternoon to you, uh, blessed and uh, uh, evening, and to you and your charity viewers in Ghana and across the globe. Thank you for having me once again. Yeah, indeed, that would have been an easy, easy way to go uh, if, 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 if it was something that yeah. was feasible. Mm -hmm. But at this moment in time, we are so entangled. And first of all, I have to express my displeasure. Uh, with respect to this inertia, uh, blessed. I think you and I spoke on this uh, a couple of times, more than two, more than two months, I think. And fast forward, it, it appears we are still in the same point or at the same point, and that is so, so, so bad. What's happening to the negotiation? Um, getting to the end of the month, uh, last month, we're told something beautiful came up between uh, IPPs and then ECG, and that's actually substantial. That's what is supposed to happen. ECG should have been the one who was supposed to face the IPPs. That is, if ECG were, was to be made independent, mm -hmm. to be able to, you know, to be able to, you know, know the ins and outs of their cash flow. Unfortunately, that's not the case. ECG is totally, you know, usurped or I mean, entangled with, you know, finance ministry. So in this case, it's only the fact that the finance ministry will have the biggest say. But as to uh, this inertia, um, there are two things. Let's say some deals have been signed, you know. They were draconian, to use this word, before. Now, we need to renegotiate that. We have to look at the cost-benefit analysis. If renegotiating them will, will enhance, you know, will give us positive returns, why not? It's, it's, it's good to always try. I will tell you that all the people pay, I will always stand for the fact that we, have, we, we should try to see what we can do about them. Mm. Other than that, I mean... What, where we are is not sustainable. Okay, uh, here's the point. The, why not also blame the private sector and, by extension, the IPPs? These are guys who've made a lot of profit. I mean, they've been making money for, 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 for God knows how long, since, since John Muhammad's era? Yeah, so um, if a businessman 
does not know how to take advantage of opportunity, then he's not really a businessman. And that, uh, that's just what they have done. <laughs> so it's free lunch for They look at the situation and mm-hmm. took smart advantage of that. It, 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 you know, unfortunately also, probably our politicians also were a bit, you know, hasty in, in, in some of the decisions that they made. Normally, I don't like to bother on what has gone. I always believe in finding solutions to problems. And so I get so disturbed when I see political actors of this moment still complaining about the fact that a previous government signed this so-and-so. That is a fact. There were certain things that have been done. And so why don't we look at strategize to get away from that? What we are doing now, and the very good question you asked my good brother, is an excellent one. Is it sustainable? That is not sustainable. What we need to do is enhance the efficiency of the entire value stream, Mm -hmm. the generation, the distribution, and then the transmission. In fact, blessed, if we are phenomenally efficient, whether take OP or take MP, it makes no difference. And this is the reason. So so, so, so demonstrate that to us, for instance. So this is what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. Um, If you are doing as many take OP, take OP, and then you are able to maintain your uptime, you develop your, your infrastructure to the extent that you can always run everything that um, I mean you, you, you purchase in terms of the installed capacity. I mean, what stops us from exporting power? What stops us from building our infrastructure, especially the transmission, to be able to export power? We keep on complaining that we have about 5,000 um, 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 installed capacity, I mean, potential capacity that we can, I mean, that we can you know, bring, bring, bring to life if we should have, yes. you know, utilities or let's say gas to do that. Yet, if you look at currently, um, our, our, our peak demand at some times and what is available for us, we are sitting on tenterhooks, and I always say that. And so it wasn't surprising that whenever you have a glitch with respect to Ghana gas operation, we have a semblance of doing so. What it tells us is that you don't have any excess capacity. Don't say that you have any excess capacity. So whatever is there, why don't we channel our energy to take advantage of that? Because it's okay. already there. You, you, you know, whilst we also look at restructuring, but yeah. I always say that if we want to restructure, let's pursue that. But if it's going to, you know, worsen the situation, let's just think of a way. I'm, I'm, I'm looking, I'm, I'm looking at the books now. I'm looking at the books now. Yeah. And, and, and based on what Isaac is just telling me in studio here, dealing yeah. with the 2.3 billion is not the end of the story. Certainly not. You, you, you have... <laughs> the debt piling up by, by, by the minute, if, if we have to say. Once the power is on, we are indebted. That, that's how bad the situation is. So why did we put ourselves into this uh, a precarious situation? And that's a fact. So what I would say is that we need to improve our efficiency. I'll repeat it. That's the way out. And that's why I said even if you take OP, and you are doing take OP, and you are, you are uptime, you are able to put all the plants online, you will have the sources that you can send the power to. You shouldn't even be worried about making capacity charges because the plants are always running, and people need power. Yet, we are not doing that. And the reason is just because of inefficiency. Now, coming back to what you, you've asked me, yes. I think ultimately there will have to be some restructuring of a sort. There's no way we can meet it. Even the IMF loan we are going for, $3 billion. Look at the kind of hassle we are going through, cutting everybody's head. At the end of the day, you know, you know, so that is not a situation that everybody likes. But at the end of the day, what I say, what I what I want to propose is that the government has to be forthcoming and forthright with this kind of negotiations. You don't expect somebody to do 100 percent debt restructuring with you at this moment in time. When you are also in, even interested, you have interest in even renegotiating, you, you, you know, some of the power pitches that they have 
you know, power over, or they have control over, or they have strategic advantage over. If you look at it on every angle, the IPPs, they have felt so much right. competitive advantage so, as compared to the government of Ghana. And so what we need to do, let's divide it. If it is 60% that we want to do the debt restructuring, let's have a payment plan. I think at all this point in time, mm. there hasn't been anything like that. Okay. There hasn't um, been any payment plan of a sort. Right, we, we need so to go. We yeah, we, we need to go, but, but let me find out from you your thoughts on this. Is the Peloton bike even worth it? Isn't it just a bike? Uh, just a bike with low-impact rides for chill people to chill with, with 5- and 10-minute cooldowns for cool people to be cool with, and scenic rides for vibey people to vibe with. It's just a bike with a 30-day home trial so you can see if you're any one of those people. Try a Peloton Bike or Bike Plus at home for 30 days, and if it's not for you, return it for a full refund. First-time bike and Bike Plus purchasers only one trial per household. Upfront payment required. Full terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. If the IPP is worst-case scenario, and that's how I'm looking at it, because anything can happen, the deadline's passed, the government hasn't settled all their bills. If the IPPs decide to pull the plugs, how long can we go without, without them, without the IPPs, really? How, how many months, we'll, how many days? We'll, we'll crumble. Uh, 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 bless it. it it's, we, we, we can't survive without the IPPs at this moment in time. And I'll oh. tell you why. Um, if you look at what is happening, our, our total generation mix, they are a huge force to welcome with. The entire thermal base is mostly occupied by the IPPs. And we are talking about 60, 60, 65 to 70% of that. Mm. How can we survive? Even the common glitch in Ghana gas, we are having to so not even the IPPs will take out power. So yes, IPPs taking out power. And then if you look at in totality, whatever they contribute in a day, let's say what Ghana produces, they are almost getting closer to 50%. Wow. Bless it. That's what we are talking about. Wow. Closer to 50% of your power. If such a person pull off the plug, and I think they are also sensitive to Ghanaian's plight. Maybe that's why they are still doing all this. So yes, uh, we cannot survive. It's very difficult to survive. We would have been able to survive if our renewables were forthcoming. Yeah. Unfortunately, uh, we can't bet on them. We haven't diversified our generation source, and so we are still dependent on the thermal base. So until we break out of the thermal base, diversify our generation portfolio, bring in a lot of renewables, you know, to relieve that much of pressure, we can't do any. We can't do much without the IDPs. Okay. Now, now I get the scenario. Thanks, Doc. I get it clearly. Um, you, you you give them a haircut, they pull the plugs, and there won't be any haircuts in the sector anymore. But thanks for spending some time with us, Doctor Yusuf Suleiman. Uh, but the haircuts will continue. Absolutely, maybe it will. because we are not the ones, you know, holding on to power. The fact that government has been <laughs> insisting for more than yeah. three months tells you that there is possibly an external force. You know, yeah. possibly uh, one of the conditions, and that, that might be the IMF exactly. conditionality. Because, mind you, you are restructuring um, euro bonds, which are in dollars. Mm. So, if you are telling us you have challenges with your balance of payment, that's why you are restructuring dollar-denominated bonds. Then, why are you not looking at IPPs, who are also around uh, two point three billion US dollars? As for the IPPs. Hmm. And possibly, the, the yeah, only I just hope we don't, we don't the, go there because we all need the light. Yes. I mean, we all need let, the light. Let, let, let me introduce some shocking hmm. statistics. If yeah. you look at our total installed capacity, it's around 5,481 uh, megawatts. Mm-hmm. IPPs contribute 75.4% um, of that installed capacity. Now, dependable capacity is around 4,975 megawatts. IPPs control 83.1% of it. And IPPs, their installed capacity is around 4,132 megawatts. So if you compare it to the total one that we have, it means if they shut down, we are going to be in you know, very hot waters. You know. 
So that's the reality. Any comments from the finance ministry on what they intend to do? Well, I think the, the only thing, you know, the only reason why IPPs are still, you know, producing is because the more they produce, the more the yeah. money also goes up. And then they have the assurance that once the IMF and the World Bank are in the picture, mm. they will surely have their money. So why don't you produce and, you know, still have your money back yeah. later on? So defer the auditing, defer the haircuts. And you make more money at the well, end the of the year. haircut, there looks as if they will, they will definitely <laughs> get the haircut. <laughs> okay, let's see if Ken Operator will get some power yeah. uh, to do the haircut. Because if they pull the plugs, that's it. You, you can't really haircut again. No, not at all. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just yeah. being kidding yeah. with that. But thanks for joining us, Isaac Ophiaj, um, uh, with the latest on what's happening uh, in the f finance sector. But we're also looking at health when we get back from the break. The Ghana AIDS Commission re re revealing to us now that there are more than 100,000 persons carrying the HIV virus in Ghana. Maybe that's close to you. You never know. So we'll tell you about it when we get back. Please stay. Yes, that's true. It can store a lot of water. That's so true. Wow, it has a working surface on it. Mm-hmm, that's so true. I can see S-I-N-T-E-X syntax. That is so true, my daughter. When it falls down, it will spoil That's not true. But why? Why? <laughs> Syntex was the first to introduce double layer tanks in Ghana. Syntex again was the first to introduce white inner layers in Ghana. Syntex gives you the biggest warranty seven years. No matter your water needs, Syntex is the answer. Syntex tank. Are you strong? Are you tough? and their wide variety of items is amazing. Interesting things at Homeland this month. Yes. Foot warmers, ice chests, mm -hmm. insulated jacks, ice cube trays, ceramic servants. Wait, is that all? Capsule, bucket flask, oil jar, sauce jar, ladle, rainbow. Yes, that is Homeland for you. There's many more. Everything you need in the kitchen. Homeland got it at quality <laughs> and affordable prices. Yes. There you have it. All the toys for you kids. Toysland. Awesome. Promotions, sales, massive discounts, freebies. What more can you ask for? Call Homeland now on 059-381-1451. Shop your way at Homeland at Accra Central. Kamali. Spintex. Kumasi. It's a big bazaar. Big sale. This whole month at Homeland Ring Road Branch. Get interactive on all social media platforms at Homeland Store GH. Happy kitchen, happy home. The second clinic of the 2023 edition of the EcoBank Joy News Habitat Fair promises to excite patrons in many ways. The West Hills Mall will host all relevant players in the housing and construction industry in Ghana from Friday 4th to Sunday 6th August 2023 from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. This year's exhibition is under the theme Home Ownership, Affordability, Comfort or Luxury. Visit the clinic and engage the providers in the housing value chain on all your housing needs, be it financing, land acquisition, rent to own, outright purchase, roofing, lighting, electronic appliances, home security, or home furnishing. The EcoBank Joy News Habitat Fair is your one-stop shop for everything housing. To register as an exhibitor, please call 0244-260-653. 
there will be daily giveaways by the sponsors to visitors at the fair. The Ecobank Joy News Habitat Fair is in partnership with Ecobank, the Pan-African Bank, and powered by the Plant City Extension Project from Cities and Habitats. Rent to Own and sponsored by Elegant Homes and General Construction Limited, where quality meets value. Syntex Tanks, a strong, a tough. Ecobank Joy News Habitat Fair. Affordability, comfort, or luxury. For crystal clear and thrilling podcasts and live shows, download and listen to us on Apple, Spotify, TuneIn, Google Podcasts, MyJoy Online, Amazon services like Echo, Amazon Music, and Audible, Stitcher, Atom Online, Overcast, and Pandora. Take note of everything. Sign up for the multimedia digital platforms now to stay updated. And thanks for staying with us. The Ghana AIDS Commission says there are more than 100,000 cases of HIV in Ghana. Uh, And these people carrying the virus are unaware and continue to spread the disease. This is uh, the latest we are receiving from the Director General of the Ghana AIDS Commission, who says that the Commission has mounted an aggressive search for these persons to bring them under treatment. He made the revelation uh, in an interview with Joy News Head of Health Desk, uh, Fred Smith. Shortly, we'll bring that uh, after announcing uh, the country's latest HIV figures at a news conference in Accra. We'll bring that to you. Uh, but first, though, let's look at the figures as we have them. Uh, but before we do all of that, the Director General has been speaking to Fred Smith. Let's listen in. First of all, looking at the, um, the HIV population, which is uh, roughly about 355,000, um, it clearly shows that uh, the sex distribution um, presents a, a major concern because the women are disproportionately affected. Um, it is it is natural that that should be the case. But what is worrying about that is the fact that um, women are not receiving the needed support they, they, they need from men to protect themselves. Why I'm saying that is because 80% of uh, HIV transmission in this country occurs through sexual contact. And therefore, Uh, women and men having sex uh, would require that if we want to reduce new infections, then obviously there should be protection. And protection means wearing a condom uh, correctly and consistently any time one has sex, especially if uh, the sexual activity occurs outside a stable relationship like uh, marriage or uh, something like that. And so uh, that is a major issue for, for us. Women's vulnerability should be reduced uh, in collaboration with men if we should uh, achieve the targets we've set for ourselves in achieving zero new infections in the country. But if you look at the story behind the numbers as have been pre- presented to us today, what do you think women are doing wrong specifically from your observation of what happens in the country 
to have such a, a disturbing situation nearly double the number of uh, men with HIV infections in Ghana? Well, now we know that women are more liberated uh, to the extent that they say um, what men can do, women can do better. And so in the traditional setting, women were not allowed to have multiple uh, partners. But today it's a common place to see or talk about you know, young women and, of course, women in general having multiple uh, sexual partners. And they have no inhibitions uh, doing that. They have no inhibitions talking about that. And so if you watch some of the street, you know, interviews uh, done by people which are usually featured on social media, uh, you see that uh, one woman can have multiple sex partners, so is young men. I mean, uh, so are young men. And so we are having women not only having multiple sexual partners, which is a major risk in the first place if they are not protecting themselves. But we have more and more young uh, women going into uh, sex work. And some who do not recognize that what they are doing is sex work, is actually, uh, they are actually um, doing exactly what sex workers do. Uh, explain that. Uh, what I mean is that some of them may not recognize they are doing sex work. But in actual fact, they are doing sex work. Why? In, in what sex way? Sex work is about exchanging you know, sex for money or for uh, gifts or any other uh, thing, okay? And so here is the case where we have many women seeing their bodies as source of income. And if you use your body for source, as source of income, then it means you will have to make the body available to multiple men in order to raise enough income. And that is where the challenge is. Is that the situation in Ghana here? Do you see a lot of them doing this? Yes. Yes. The, the first time we did uh, sex worker population size estimate, that was 2011. The population then was around, uh, I think, oh, forgive me, it was, I think, 50,000. Now it's, the last time we did it, it was almost 70,000. That is four years after. And now when you go out there, you see young people even some at the tender age of 10 on the street soliciting. Now, many of them don't solicit on the streets. They do it what they call on the internet. And so you have hookup where, where uh, a, a, a young lady will go, of course, young men are also doing the same, will go to a client you know, at an agreed place. And we have some 
who are also doing it, you know, uh, they operate, uh, you know, from a home-based uh, kind of setting. And so it's going on. We have high-class sex workers who live in, you know, luxury apartments, and their clients are, you know, people of substance in society who actually patronize their services. So we have all these things happening in Ghana. Uh, th this is worrying, and uh, I noticed that you have interventions to deal with this, but uh, can you brief us on uh, any advice for women directly so that we're able to reduce the spread amongst them, and once that happens, we know we will be able to reduce that amongst men? Yes. So. First of all, having multiple sexual partners is a high risk. And if you want to reduce the risk, you first reduce the number of sex partners. And if that is too difficult for you, then you have to protect yourself at all times because you do not know what your client is capable of giving you. Number two is that you have to test to know your HIV status because for you to effectively protect yourself against HIV, you should know whether you have it or not. Because if you have it and you, you think you are protecting yourself, it amounts to nothing. And so first know your HIV status. Do well to know the HIV status of your partner. Now we have self-test kits, which are free. At the moment, they are free. So you can have as many as you want and then encourage your partners to test if you are a sex worker. But that is not the only thing you have to do. You also have to be mindful of the fact that you are exposing yourself to not only HIV risk, a risk of contracting HIV, but other sexually transmitted infections. You may not even be prepared to get pregnant or make somebody pregnant if you are a man. And so you have to take all these things into account and protect yourself. Realistically, you know the economy is getting tougher by the day and people have to find ways and means to survive. Uh, do you think this message, yes, as good as it may be, do you think people can easily accept and practice them as you've, you've preached? Right. Yes, the economy is tight. Life is difficult for majority of Ghanaians. But there is consequence for every ch choice we make. And so you must be mindful that whatever choice you are making today has a consequence. And the consequence is that if you are engaging in sex and you don't know your status or the status of your partner, you should understand that you are actually uh, engaging in a risky activity or you are putting yourself at risk 
of not only HIV, but other sexually transmitted infections. That's number one. Number two is that selling, or selling your body is not the only way that you can make livelihood. There are a lot of things you can do to keep yourself going. And I think one should consider such options as well and not look at only the easiest way out of the situation because there is nothing easy anywhere. When you get infected with HIV, it's going to change your life for the rest of your life. Why? Because even when you are on treatment, it will not, you will not be cured by the treatment, which means you will live with it for, for the rest of your life. Um, is, it, is that better than living without HIV? It's a question everybody um, has to you know, answer for him or herself. But we're seeing a lot of these cases in the greater Accra region, Ashanti region. Uh, what's accounting for the, the high numbers in the big cities? Well, the literature clearly um, shows that urbanization has got a lot to do with HIV infections, and not only HIV, um, other epidemics you know, we see the same trend. And uh, in the urban settings, uh, people have to do a number of things, especially migrants. You have on the streets of Accra many young people who have traveled from far places to come and make a living here. They don't find their jobs, and so they end up on the streets. And surviving on the street is difficult. So they need to get involved in street-based commercial activities. That doesn't end their match, and they have to supplement their income. And so uh, they end up getting involved in sex work or having sex with multiple partners. And sometimes, too, they fall into the hands of uh, pimps who use them as sex workers you know, and make money out of them. And so the, the urban environment creates a lot of challenges for people who uh, may end up getting HIV because accommodation is, you know, inadequate. And so people have to sleep rough. And sleeping rough means being exposed to all kinds of, you know, uh, challenges. And... Um, that is what urbanization, you know, uh, impact, how urbanization impacts on uh, the health of the people, uh, and in this case, uh, HIV infections. But the simple explanation is that Greater Accra has the largest population, is the region with the largest population in, in Ghana, followed by Ashanti. And so, naturally, you expect that um, Greater Accra should have more HIV population than any other region in the country. And uh, that is what we are seeing from this data. So, as bad as the situation looks, 
And you've mentioned that poverty has a lot to do with the spread of the virus. What do you see the situation uh, uh, for 2023, as you've already started some projections on that? Yes. Um, 2023, we expect new infections to reduce, as we've seen between 2021 and 2022. Uh, and we are desirous to see a much uh, reduction, you know, much more reduction than we've seen uh, in the last year, uh, because our target is to reduce new infections by 17%. And so anything less than that will mean that we are not doing well. Uh, and that is why every Ghanaian has to work with the commission in ensuring that they protect themselves so we can reduce new infections. And we have a target, 2030, to eliminate HIV AIDS from Ghana. Uh, how are we progressing on that? Well. For us to achieve, to end AIDS in Ghana, we have to diagnose 95% of people living with HIV in the country and put 95% of the, those diagnosed on treatment, antiretroviral treatment, and 95% uh, of those on treatment must become virally suppressed. Currently, uh, HIV diagnosis or case detection is at 71, almost 72 percent. Um, and then the, uh, those on treatment is 71.8 uh, percent for know your status. That is the first 95. The second 95 is 87.4 percent. And the third 95 is 68.1%. That is where it stands. And what that means is that uh, more than 28% of people living with HIV still do not know their HIV status because they have not tested. And more they, than 28%? Yes. Uh, that represents what number? That represents about 100,000 people. 100,000 people. Yes. You mean all of these are out there, they don't know they have HIV and maybe spreading? Exactly. That is what is happening. And of course, they are spreading it unknowingly. And that is not the best. And in fact, uh, the, if, if, if someone, it's important for everyone to know their HIV status. And knowing it early, you know, is very important even for treatment success. Uh, if you wait till you, you get AIDS before you go to hospital, it will take a longer, much longer time for you to recover in terms of boosting your immune system for, for it to you know, regenerate and support your body. Uh, it takes longer time. And, and so it is important that you get tested to know your HIV status when you are strong and well. When you see no symptoms, uh, uh, HIV-infected-related symptoms, uh, that is the best time. And in fact, at a time when you don't feel sick and you have no signs, that is when you can transmit the virus 
even more. Why? Because acute being uh, in the acute stage of infection means that you are highly infectious and you transmit the virus uh, you know, more than somebody who is not in the acute state. And so it is important that we test to know our status as early as possible and go on to treatment so that you can you know, prolong your life and have uh, a healthy life and productive life. And briefly, are you looking, are you on the search for all of these 100,000 people? Yes, we are. That is why we launched the self-test campaign uh, two weeks ago, because there are people who are underserved when it comes to HIV services. Uh, some are hard to reach, uh, and they may not have the opportunity to get the, any of the services. And so bringing testing to their doorsteps and test, the self-test kits are being distributed in the communities. So bringing it to their doorsteps will enable those who fear to know their status to at least start the process by testing to see whether they are reactive or non-reactive. And if they are reactive, then they can go to health facility and uh, have further diagnosis and management. Uh, and it is very critical that everyone gets to know his or her HIV status. Finally, are, are we going to be able to eliminate HIV AIDS by 2030 per the data you have? It's subject to a number of factors if we could be successful in this target. Number one is the cooperation of Ghanaians. Um, taking HIV seriously and uh, eliminating the current level of high complacency and taking HIV as a serious matter and protecting themselves. That's number one. Number two is that we do not have, we have the strategies to achieve it. We have the policies, we have the programs and the tools to achieve. We have the human capacity to achieve the, strat uh, the targets. However, we don't have the resources to provide the services that will enable us achieve the, the targets. And that is where one of the major uh, problems. And so the commission uh, within its mandate is initiating resource, domestic resource mobilization uh, activities, you know, campaign uh, to give the opportunity to all Ghanaians to contribute to the AIDS fund. We know that there are well-to-do Ghanaians who are affected by HIV, whether they live with it themselves or they have family members who are affected or friends who are affected. And they will be kind enough to contribute or donate to the fund so that we can save lives and support children who, for no fault of theirs, have become victims uh, in terms of becoming 
AIDS orphans uh, because AIDS has taken their mothers and fathers away and they do not have anyone to look after them. Um, and we should be able to also prevent new infections. And all these call for huge investment. And so the donation uh, that we are asking for would help us do this. And it's opportunity we are giving to all Ghanaians uh, to uh, contribute. And so you can dial uh, the USSD code star 9898-HASH and donate to the fund, follow the prompts and donate to the fund. Uh, we have bank account, uh, fund account numbers at Bank of Ghana, and that can also be uh, used in paying directly into the account. And very soon we are going to share all the materials on both traditional and social media for uh, more and more Ghanaians to know about it and donate to the fund. And without the contribution of Ghanaians, we will fail as a country. We won't be able to achieve it because now our donors who are giving us money for the AIDS response, they insist that we should have the fund, 60% of the funds needed for HIV response domestically. And they are paying 40%. But currently, their contribution is less than 40%. For the next three years, their contribution every year is going to be 33%. So we should raise the 67% domestically. And that means government, corporate Ghana, individuals, philanthropists, everybody has to be involved. And no amount is too small. Even one city, even 10 pesos. If we have 1,000 people donating 10 pesos, that will give us some money. You know, so no amount is too small. Please feel free to donate to the AIDS Fund for us to save lives and prevent new infections in the country and support those who are affected by HIV. For example, it's orphans. Thank you. Many thanks, and a pleasure speaking to you. Yeah. Thank you for having me, and it's uh, always a pleasure uh, working with you. Thank you. Uh, and in that quest to enlarge its uh, revenue base, the National Lottery Authority has launched a new uh, draw machine to aid its uh, gaming activities. Director General of the National Lottery Authority, Samuel Oku, revealed uh, that uh, random number generators have been procured to aid corporate uh, promotions in various institutions. After 27 years, the National Lottery Authority is doing away with old and obsolete machines used for its various gaming platforms. The authority ushered in new technologically advanced machines for efficient and reliable draws. Director General of the National Lottery Authority, Samuel Awuku, says the new equipment are in line with the modern dictates in the industry. It has become mandatory that after 27 dedicated years of service, we phase them out. This is by virtue of the inability of the godmother machines, as we used to call them, to function as they should. Additionally, 
The Honorable Minister, the machines have become obsolete and their manufacturers are no longer producing the spare parts needed to sometimes fix them when they break down. This has become increasingly challenging to the operations of the National Lottery Authority. Minister of Defense Dominic Nitewal has issued a warning to illegal private lottery operators. He indicated that in order for the state to profit from cash generated by lotto operations in Ghana, the sector's illegalities must be addressed. We cannot allow private people to hijack what is duly yours. Let's follow up and ensure that people do not commit illegalities in the lotto industry. It's not acceptable. Just Africans here, they take more than 10 times what you do here. Nigeria is more than 100 times what you do here. Lotto should be a cash cow. And we must flash out the illegal people to ensure that it is a cash cow to the nation. So how is the NLA dealing with illegal lottery operators? Here is the Director General of the National Lottery Authority, Samuel Awuku. We're also going to go tough on the illegal lottery operators. You heard the Defence Minister, the NLA together with the military, the Ghana Revenue Authority and the state enforcement agencies. We are going to go after all these illegal operators who are welding almost 600 million cities every year illegally by operating lotto and do not uh, uh, contribute in any way or form or shape by paying their taxes to support the state. Neither do they support good causes. So you have very few people amassing all these and not supporting uh, the state. The new initiative by NLA is expected to give people multiple chances to win. For Joy News, Jacqueline Ansuma Yeboa. And uh, Stephen Hereji was sentenced to eight years in prison for defilement. Uh, he was pardoned after serving four years and eight months due to his good behavior. As he goes home, uh, he is full of hope for the future, as he believes his uh, reform joint news caught up with him as he beats farewell to the Akuse prison where he spent the last four years of his life. Today, we witness the journey of 58-year-old ex-convict Stephen Hebizi. He spent four years and eight months behind the walls of Akusi prisons. It's not easy. He faced so many challenges. Some, uh, our food is not enough for us. Then to tell the food is not accurate. And uh, if you are sick, to no car, to take you to hospital, or you don't get any accurate medicine for you. And some things, we are in a cloudness. We are in a small cell, about 60 people, 80, 64. That brings sickness, more sickness in the house now. On Saturday, July 29, 2023, he gained his freedom. I miss you a lot. I miss you. Uh, yes, like I'm in heaven. So I don't have anything in my pocket, but I'm happy. I'm, I'm happy. So I'm going home. Today, like this, I have to take some heavy food because the zone told totally, it didn't satisfy me anyway. So I have to take fufu and light soup. And that's what I want. Let's see. <laughs> As he leaves the prison, he emerges a man of both sorrow and hope, ready to embrace the freedom that awaits him. But I live the I live home for a long time. My wife and children and the family all. I miss them a lot. 
I know so many things as far in my back. I'm a worker that is here at Kosovo Tesla Limited before got the problem. And now my job too has got spoil. So I'm going to, I hope God, only God can help. But now too, I can learn so many things, a farming, okro, garlic, onion, on those things. I can do it, but now there is no help. There's no help for that. So I'm praying to God, God to touch somebody to help you to continue farming on something like that to care of my take a care of my family the struggle in prison was immense and stephen found solace in the small acts of kindness that brightened the darkness of prison life in a happy moment only if we guess visitors come and visit yes at least they give us some food and everything that's why we feel it all right that is the only happiness you get. The reason I have no happiness, apart from if you get some good food or something like Some people come with the word of God, we listen to the word of God, we drum, and be, that's all. If they go, that's all your mind, go back to the old system. But his journey to redemption was not just about surviving prison life. It was about breaking the cycle of violence and criminality that perpetuated within those walls. I can see uh, we, you know, the miss we are missed with those who get murder case, I'm robbing and robbing case. I see the firemen or something like that. We are not equal, but the miss uh, some of the uh, guys, isn't of the kind of stealing. They can learn different kinds of character. So me to me, we plead to the government. They should see to it. So that if somebody comes with a murder case or something like that, then too they should leave different place or different cell so that they will not manipulate those who came with stealing or assault or those kind of things. We are facing challenges about those things. Somebody will come here, you don't know how to smoke, but you come here, come learn. And that's all we have for you in this package of the polls. I am blessed and log on to myjouralonline.com. We have stories for you there. Thanks for spending some time with us here. Stay on the joining channel.